star 611 for assistance, as your cellular phone is not authorized for use at this time. Pour de l'assistance, veuillez composer étoile 611. Vous n'avez pas le... Hello, podcast listener. Everything around you that you call life was made by people that were no smarter than you. And you can change it. You can influence it. You can build your own things that other people can use. The App Guy Podcasts, straight from your host, Paul the App Guy, sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. And now, Paul the App Guy. Okay, this is the App Guy Podcast. My name is Paul Kemp. I'm the founder of OneMob, and I'm just thrilled today to get a guest speaker on the show. His name is John Brayton, and he is a lifelong lover of computing. I guess he went to college in during the era of the web, and so got a love of programming, especially from his Apple IIgs, his first computer. And during that career, he has been inspired to set up his own company, and he is then now the founder of Golden Hill Software, and they are the company that produced a fantastic Mac app called Cloudpool. And I know that John is going to tell us all about Cloudpool and how he got got into that. So it's just a little introduction to you, John, but perhaps you can take a minute tell us about your business and tell us about you we want to learn about you and, and who you are sure well thank you Paul thank you for having me on the show yeah so um, yeah I've been a computer programmer basically for forever um, I loved programming as a kid when I was in middle school I took an after-school class in programming basic on Apple IIe's And the best Christmas I, the best childhood Christmas I remember is when my parents bought um, the first computer we had in our house. It was an Apple IIgs. It was um, state of the art at the time. Uh, and yeah, I was I was on that thing night and day, writing all sorts of little basic programs. Um, and I'm not sure I was actually good at doing that programming, but I really liked it, and I was really committed to uh, becoming better at it. Um, so that's sort of what started my career as, as a computer programmer. Um, so when I went to college, it just happened that I was in college between 92 and 96, and that was um, when the web was becoming something. Um, you know, I, I used um, uh, Mosaic back on the old Macs and, you know, Mosaic would crash every five minutes, but that was okay because it was great and it was so useful and you could get information so fast that crashing every five minutes was an inconvenience that was worth, uh, dealing with. There was no other way to get information on the web at the time. Um, and it's amazing how things have changed. Uh, now Safari crashes once every few days and, you know, we all get upset about it as we should, but, um, Just shows you how far we've come. Um, so yeah, I learned to, I, I did a ton of web development um, in college and that's essentially how my career started. I've had several, the several, um, you know, corporate jobs or mostly at startups um, that I've had since that time have all been focused on doing uh, website development. Yes. And, and, You kind of then, I guess you were inspired to set up your own company. Yeah. So, um, so I've always wanted, so I had always dreamed of having my own company, even, even when I was in college and even before that, even though that was a long time ago, I'd always dreamed of having my own company, but was never quite sure exactly what I was going to 
do or how I was going to start or what problem I was going to try to solve and what would actually, you know, allow me to make a, a sustainable business. Um, one thing that really, really helped me to get started was um, there used to be, well, the Mac Developer Network has um, a, podca well, a podcast now called iDeveloper. It used to be a series of podcasts that was Late Night Coco, um, a Mac Software Business Podcasts, and a few others. And the Mac Software Business Podcast in particular inspired me to finally take the leap and start my own business and to do that developing software for the Mac. Um, and so listening to that podcast was the best thing I ever could have done. And finally in 2000 or in late 2010, Apple announced that they were launching a Mac app store. And of course at this time we already had an iOS app store. Um, but now they were going to bring that to the Mac. And that was what made me decide that, okay, this was the right time. If I was ever going to do this, it was going to coincide with the Mac app store. So I launched my first app on the day the Mac app store launched, um, my first independent app. Um, and that app is CloudPool. Great. Now, I know we, I want to talk about CloudPool and uh, how, how that functions. And but before we do that, there's so many interesting things here that I think will inspire other people. First, you were inspired by a podcast, you know, that I was also inspired by a podcast to even set this podcast up in the first place and also become an app developer. And so podcasts are incredibly important now. And I think they are becoming uh, more mainstream. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, that, that's interesting. What podcast was it that you were inspired by? Do you remember? Um, yeah, the uh, Mac Software Business Podcast in particular. Yeah, so I should really put a sh uh, link to that. Is that still going? Uh, it is not still going, but it's one of but it's the the gentleman who uh, runs that podcast that ran that podcast has a different one now called iDeveloper, um, and it's probably still available either on the web or through iTunes. So yeah, we can link that up. Is it worth uh, going back to some of the back catalogs? There are certainly some things that might seem dated. Like many of those podcasts were recorded at a time when there was no such thing as an app store, at least in the mainstream. But uh, even so, there's a lot of good business advice from them. And if I was, uh, I w absolutely would recommend listening to all of those old episodes even today. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how, I guess things do change but ironically when you listen back maybe they don't change as much and so you found your passion early uh, 92 to 96 you were a very early adopter you were um, on the web and it was new territory how did you know it was your passion what what, what kind of behavior did you experience to say yeah you know this is my passion because I think a lot of uh, people do struggle to understand what their real passion is how did you know it was your passion well, as a as a child, it was um, it was just apparent to me. I I loved nothing more than I mean, there were times, like I said, when I was growing up. Before my parents bought a computer, we didn't have one, and so you know, when we were in school, when I was in school, I would any chance I could get to use, you know, there'd be a computer in the classroom. Any chance I could, any, any chance I got to use that computer, I I would I would use it, and I would be doing programming on it. And, and when I wasn't using the computer, I could sit there, I would sit there with a pen and paper and write out programs that I would then, you know, later type into the computer, you know, just because that was, that was just what I was thinking about. I tend to obsess over things. And as a kid, uh, programming was what I obsessed. Yeah. And it was probably a love of programming that uh, really drove you to, uh, I guess, computers in the first place. 
and uh, then the web itself. The I guess in the early days it was uh, the f- the frontier. Yeah, it it used to be. Um, well, I mean, the web then is sort of what iOS was just a few years ago, where it was this brand new thing, and no one really even knew how it was going to work in the in the sense of what people were going to do with it. But we knew it was new. We knew there was a ton of uh, potential. What was it that really frustrated you when you, uh, I guess, were working for other companies and, and inspired you? You were inspired to start your own company what was really the frustration that you found you know not not having your own company um yeah i'm not i'm not sure that it was frustration as much as just i well i don't take direction well so i you know when i have an idea i tend to want to go forward with an idea and when i have a concept of how i think something should work um i tend to want to proceed in that direction and and make it and make it work that way and I've never been a, f- or I, I get very little enjoyment out of someone telling me, okay, there's this new feature and it's going to be part of this piece of software and it's going to work this way and this way and this way and this way and go build it. And of course, that's how companies, how larger companies have to operate. But, um, but I like to sort of set my own direction and um, build the thing that I want to build. Um, so that's what has always made me want to um, have my own business, uh, set my own terms, and build something, and hope that hope that customers will appreciate, uh, will, will will find useful the thing I've decided that I want to build. You know that is the the thing I guess that is interesting is that. You know, people may be in the situation that you were a few years ago now, where they're having these same feelings of wanting to do something that matters. And the best way to do that is to set up your own company, and because then you effectively become your own boss. So it was interesting to hear you talk about the feelings that you had at the time, and, and just kind of what what eventually inspired you. So you then made the jump, you know, and it was. As you said, the trigger was the launch of the Mac App Store. Perhaps you can take us back to that time and tell us how it felt to suddenly make that decision and what was going on in your life at the time. Um, yeah, it, it was a, it was a tough decision to make. Um, one of the biggest challenges I had getting started was take was deciding that um, that I was willing to give up. You know, a very by most standards, a very good um, day job to do something that may or may not make any money and, you know, just throw caution to the wind. Um, so that it was a difficult decision to make. Uh, I was lucky in that when I left that job, the company um, wanted me and still wants me to um, to work with them um, a couple days a week to um, to do just to do some work they're perfect they're will they were eager to give me or willing to give me some work to do just a couple days a week if that was all i was willing to do and that has worked out well for me because honestly um my own company um, brings in some money but it doesn't bring in quite as much as i need it to yet so i'm very fortunate to have a former full-time employer that is now a part-time employer and helps me it that is very helpful to me and that option may not be available to everybody, but if it is available to you, uh, I would highly encourage anyone starting out to take advantage of that. Um, you know, if they're willing to give you, you know, a smaller amount of work, um, 
to do just a few days a week and let you spend the rest of your week focusing on your own business. That's, that's incredibly, it's incredible. I mean, you and I share a similar um, path in a way that I had to give up a pretty well-paid job and it was very, very uh, frightening at the time, just going in with a resignation letter to your boss and then your your mind plays funny tricks on you you know you believe that you're going to become completely homeless and have no money and uh get, you're giving up this uh, wonderful career and and i guess people around you may think you're a bit crazy because you know they judge success uh, as a bank balance perhaps so it is interesting because there must be people uh, listening to this that uh, are in the same position and you know uh, what, what i found interesting about your story is that you actually must have left in a way that was very positive because you re- retained some work from your former company. Yes, I, I was lucky in that, you know, there were no hard feelings and I'm lucky to still have some work from that company and I feel very fortunate that way. How did you leave on such good terms? It just worked out, you know, I mean, I gave notice, I gave it in a respectable way and they were perfectly okay with that. So if you're listening to this podcast, you can hear John and the fact that he uh, left in a very positive uh, surrounding, I think that's um, you know perhaps a good lesson for us all. In that, uh, if you're going to hand in your resignation letter, remember that these people that you've worked with for so many years perhaps could be uh, good allies for you as you transition your life into the erratic behavior of trying to earn your own money. What did it feel like then to uh, go from uh, picking up a salary to then suddenly being responsible for your own means? Honestly, it felt great. It's It was scary, and it's still scary, but um, I like being as self-sufficient as I can be, um, and, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy, you know, working on my own products so much, and I enjoy, you know, being able to help customers directly, and I, it, it, it really feels good. Scary sometimes, but very good. You know, it's interesting because I uh, also left a company and um, because I I got so excited about all these decisions I could suddenly make on my own, you know, deciding the name of the the brand or the product, deciding the logo. I got really, uh, I guess, misdirected and started focusing so much on, you know, logos, brands, you know, things that I I wasn't able to decide in my previous employment. And uh, how do you keep focused on what's really important because we'll, we'll, we'll kind of, I guess we'll get onto Cloudpool because you left, you set up Golden Hill Software and created Cloudpool. How, how did you really focus and dr- drill down onto what's important and, and what's perhaps not so important in running your own business? Um, well, it's difficult. Um, one thing that I've, uh, one lesson I've learned through my career working for other companies is just how important it is to you know, to, to set a target to say, okay, this is what we want. This is what I want to build. This is when I really need to ship it by. And, you know, there's, it won't always have everything you want to build and a ship date. You know, those two won't always, they'll almost never uh, coincide completely, but you, you know, learn where to make the trade-offs. When, when do you say, all right, well, I'd like to ship this product or this version of product within, say, you know, the next month. But if the only way to incorporate this feature or that feature is to make it two months out, then okay, I'm willing to I'm willing to make that trade off. Sometimes you should. Sometimes you have to decide in favor of um, 
you know, extending the date. Sometimes you have to decide in favor of, of cutting features. Um, but fortunately, that was something I managed to learn um, working from employers is just how to make those decisions. And I don't always make the right decisions, but I, I, I think I've at least gotten good at deciding that, okay, well, it, 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 knowing that I need to make the decision and making a pretty good one. Yeah, and then so uh, what gave you the idea of cloud pool then? Because it's such a f- fantastic, maybe you can spend a minute or two telling us how you got the idea and telling us about the service. Sure. So um, so CloudPull is an app that backs up your Google account. It backs up uh, Gmail, Google Drive, Google Calendar, and Google uh, Contacts. And since way back uh, when Gmail first launched, um, I've been a huge fan of Gmail. Um, I, you know, I, I don't use Apple Mail. I use Mailplane, which is... Um, a site-specific browser specifically geared towards um, Gmail. And because I think that Gmail's interface is the best email interface there is right now. It's the easiest way to find that it's the easiest way to find existing emails. So I've loved the service. I love uh, Google Drive and it used, it used to be called Google Docs, but I've loved that service um, and Google Calendar. But my concern with it was, well, okay, all this information is, you know, on their servers and not that I think that they don't have backups, but I'd feel much better if I had my own backup of this data and there was no easy way to do that. There were, you know, shell scripts and Perl scripts and things like that that you could download and set up and put in your cron tab and things like that, but nothing that was a nice, simple Mac interface. So uh, the very first version of CloudPull was... Um, much simpler. What it did was it backed up Google Docs. That was before they were calling it Google Drive. Um, So it backed up Google Docs and then I slowly added support for Google Contacts, Google Calendars, and uh, even Google Reader, although obviously I had to tear that out. And then um, the big 2.0 launch was adding support for backing up Gmail. So my thing has always been that I love to use Google services. I think they have great services, but I would really like to have my own copy of the data and CloudPull lets me do that in a way that's seamless and automatic. And did you end up losing some data or so you yeah. you just thought it would be a great idea? Yeah, I've never lost any data with um, that I've had on Google, but I always knew that it was possible and I knew that you know, very few, but some people had. So Obviously, it's a fantastic idea and, you know, it's ironic that uh, it's, the emphasis now is on uh, backup and the the reliance that we have on these big companies like Google. As you say, they may actually uh, be very secure with our data, but they also may have a catastrophic event that ends up losing all our important stuff. In fact, my entire life is on uh, Google, uh, Google Drive, and uh, I've been using Google and Gmail all, all for years. So you had a really fantastic idea, and I think that's what's really kind of perhaps some people going alone do struggle with is to get a really good idea. So you were very fortunate that you had this good idea and it went on the Mac App Store. You set a target in the ship date. How did you kind of figure how long it was going to take you? One thing that worked in my favor was the launch of the Mac App Store. I knew as soon as the Mac App Store was launched, I I mean, I had been working on CloudPull as my own app for my own purposes for a while. Uh, Although at the time, 
I don't think anyone on the planet could have used it other than me, but it did, but it did its thing uh, on, in the background uh, on my computer. Um, and I had always had in mind that, you know, I'd love to be able to sell this. Um, and then the, I want to say it was October of 2010, Apple announced that the Mac App Store was coming in January of 2011. And I knew right then and there, okay, that was the time to make this a real product, to stop doing a day job, to um, and to focus my efforts on getting this out, and that the day the Mac App Store launched had to be the day I shipped this app. So that's how I made it happen. <laughs> right. So it's nothing like the launch of an app store to kind of put the deadline on uh, the ship date. Exactly. As often happens, Apple determined the due date. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. And um, so how's it been for you then? What uh, do you tend to, I mean, one of the big things is it, all the work, hard work goes in the development of the, um, you know, the app and, and then how do you market it? What's your strategy and could you provide some tips for the listeners to how you actually go about to promoting Cloudpool? Sure. Honestly, marketing is something that I struggle with, but um, I've, I do several things. Um, one thing, and this is sort of specific to or in some ways specific to Mac apps, but um, there's a site called Mac Update that you know many enthusiastic Mac users um, look at for, oh, what, what's a new app that I can buy uh, or download or try out today? So I list with Mac Update, and I've also done some paid advertising through Mac Update. And um, also I did a, an MU promo um, promotion one day, which was the app was um, discounted. It it was sort of like a bundle in that um, if you bought the app through Mac Update on one particular day, the app was at a huge discount. And of course, Mac Update takes a cut of that discount, but a bunch more people buy the app. Um, so I did that once. I also list the app through other sites um, like the Google Apps Marketplace. Um, there's a site called I Use This through through which I list the app, um, and I just you know try to talk about the app as much as I can. And I also you know view customer support as a great way to not to sort of promote the app and that obviously no one's going to email me if they don't know about the app yet. But at the same time, if someone, if when I email, I try to, you know, respond quickly and professionally to, uh, to customer inquiries. And when I'm able to respond to an inquiry within, you know, five or 10 minutes, 99% of the time I get a reply saying, wow, that was the quickest response I've ever gotten. Or I'm, you know, so impressed or so happy to have, have, to see that you know this company is responsive, and that's a great. In doing so, I've gotten uh, um, you know lots of uh, you know app store reviews and reviews on other sites as a result of just being responsive to customer inquiries. Because I guess nowadays, so many big corporations are you know the, the customer service has really gone sort of backwards I guess and putting a human face being so responsive to get, to get a message back from the founder and the and the developer it must be really yeah and one of the so it's great that there are so many apps that are inexpensive these days um, especially on, on both the Mac and on iOS but I think one problem with that is you know if you're releasing an app for you know 99 cents or even say five dollars 
realistically, you can't afford the time to um, uh, to respond to customer inquiries all that quickly if you're selling a if you're selling a large number, and if you're not selling a large number, then you can't afford to do anything because you know the price is so low. Um, one benefit of the Mac platform and selling at a somewhat higher price point is you can take the time um, to provide great customer support, and in doing so, you engender uh, goodwill and a good reputation. And let's just talk about that for a minute because also it does take time and. You know, when you start your own company, we tend to not have the resources to employ people. Uh, how do you deal with a lot of the work that is uh, undertaken? Do you, do you outsource virtual assistants? How do you how do you cope with the amount of work? Um, I don't outsource it at all. I do all the replies myself. It just, um, customer support inquiries just show up in my inbox as email messages. Um, I'm. I probably should have a ticketing system, but I don't. Uh, it's just email. Um, but the time hasn't. I I don't find it difficult to um, to respond quickly to inquiries and to answer most questions. The things that do take time are when there's more intense troubleshooting involved, and sometimes that happens, and it does require a lot of time. And I'm happy to do that, um, but. Honestly, I think the the best thing I can do for my customers oftentimes is to just, you know, be available by email to see if I have a new message, reply within a few minutes, and customers are really happy with that. Um, at the same time, obviously, there are times when I can't reply quickly either because, you know, I'm sleeping or um, I'm out doing something or, or working for another company or something like that. Um, and so, you know, just reply later. But when I can respond quickly, that's helpful. And I also have to balance that with, you know, development time in that um, I like, I do respond quick, I, I do try to respond quickly all the time, but at the same time, if I'm sort of in the zone, I'm, fo I'm getting a ton of uh, development work done, and I know full well that an interruption is at a certain time would not be good for me, well, I need to quit my email client and turn on Do Not Disturb and all that just so I can focus for a few hours. And that's fine. You, you have to balance that. But um, but I think whenever possible, replying to email and doing it personally and quickly is helpful and good for reputation. Yeah, so many developers talk about getting into a zone, and it's kind of interesting to hear you say that as well. Uh, especially, there, there are, I believe, tools out there that enable you to kind of shut your computer down other than what you're doing. And uh, I don't know, do you use anything that um, helps, you know, kind of uh, shut off all the noise? Um, or, or is it kind of like put the phone, <laughs> put it in another room and uh, turn, turn off the internet? Yeah, I use, uh, well, I use Do Not Disturb on my iPhone. And on the Mac, I use... Uh, well, the Mac also has Do Not Disturb, so I use that. And I also, so my mail client of choice, Mailplane, has its own uh, Do Not Disturb mode that I take advantage of. So, um, you know, you're, you've got had an interesting career with app, uh, development work. Um, I'd love to hear from you what sort of personal habits that you tend to for, form, what, what keeps you excited and passionate and, and what personal habits would you suggest to other people to, to follow? So uh, one habit I have, um, and some people might cringe at this, but one habit I have is that I've developed really only recently is waking up very early. Right. Uh, I, set, <laughs> I set my alarm very early for 4.30 in the morning because 
Uh, not because I really want to get out of bed that early, but because I find that those first few hours of the day are my most productive. There's nothing to distract me. Um, I, you know, no phone calls, no, not many emails, things like that. I just like, okay, at my computer, very focused and I enjoy working in a focused manner. Um, and I, I just find the first few hours of the, of the day, my most productive. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way for everybody. You know, someone else might do better to, um, to, you know, do the bulk of their programming between, you know, 11 PM and 2 AM every night, 10 years ago, that's what I did, but, um, I'm old now, <laughs> so I got to play instead. <laughs> um, hey, watch it. <laughs> I'm pretty old. <laughs> But no, I've heard so many times that you know it's all about getting up early and uh, the fact that there is no noise in your life and it is an incredibly productive time. I spoke to someone uh, two weeks ago, who uh, an app developer, who said that yeah, he he wakes up the first thing he does before coffee, before anything, is writes a line of code because that gets him into the day. And so your advice is to wake up at a good a good early time and and perhaps you'll be more productive. Yeah, I I found it. I found it very helpful just to, and you know, the, those first few hours of the day certainly aren't my only time programming, but they're probably more productive. I probably get more done between say 5.30 and 8.30 in the morning than I do the rest of the day. Um, and that's not because I'm slacking off the rest of the day. It's just because those few hours in the morning is when I happen to be most productive these days. What other perhaps resources could you recommend to the listeners to uh, that you use in, in you know in your daily uh, life sure um one uh set of resources that i would recommend to anybody is any um any meetups uh programming meetups that happen to be in their area um if there's a cocoa heads an ns coder night um anything like that in your area i totally recommend going i started going to cocoa heads here in boston five years ago and it's the best decision i ever made um also i mentioned podcasts um so i, I mentioned uh the mac developer network podcasts uh the current one is iDeveloper, and that's a great podcast other ones that are that i really enjoy are um, core intuition um release notes and also debug and um i'll send you the links for those you can have them for the show notes yeah sure and also um just Twitter, if probably everybody is on Twitter these days, but if you're not, uh, I definitely recommend being on Twitter and I definitely recommend following, you know, just other, other developers who you happen to know of and respect, regardless of whether you've ever met them or have a personal relationship with them, just following them, you learn a lot or, you know, learn, you learn of you just get pointers to different things they might have never thought of just by reading about what someone else is facing or considering or up against at a moment. And it's a, it is a great way to meet people as well. That's really good advice because uh, I think also people listening to this podcast, the reason we do it is because that we want to kind of share your story and, you know, get inside your inside circle and, and what it's like to be an app developer and all those big decisions you've had to go through in your career. Uh, so that's why we're, we're kind of do, doing this show in, in a way. And of course, you can kind of f um, also follow you on Twitter. Perhaps uh, we are going to kind of uh, mention at the end uh, how to best contact you. But before we do that, 
I've really got a, a good final question for you. And that is, many people are perhaps in that situation that you were back in 2010, uh, where you were making that big decision to leave. If you could go back to that time and sit down with your former self and have a coffee with yourself, what would you say? What would be the kind of big advice that you would give to your former self of the three years ago? Probably my biggest piece of advice or biggest um, thing I would thing I would tell myself of a few years ago that would have surprised me then is that is to expect a lot of people is, is to accept, um, expect feedback in general, of course, but, um, well, I'll tell you a story. Yeah. Tell us a story. That's, that's okay. So when I first released cloud pull 1.0, um, like I said, at the time I just backed up Google docs and so it would store them in files in your library application support folder. And the way of retrieving those files was through the app. And, you know, I had some beta testers and I'd gotten some feedback. Um, but one bit of feedback I didn't have until I launched the app was, well, first the question of, okay, it's great that I have this app from which I can retrieve the files, but where are they stored and how can I change where they were stored? Um, so... I initially was just storing them with essentially random file names. Um, you know, I would, I think I just told the Mac, you know, used whatever system call it was to just generate any unique file name, a UID or something along those lines, uh, and put it in that folder. And then I'd worry about naming it, whatever the title of the document was when they went to restore that document. And so I did not get this feedback at all before I launched 1.0. But immediately after I got I launched 1.0, the most common customer support question I got is, okay, this is great, but where are the files? I don't see the files anywhere. I want the files, not just this interface to the files. Um, so the sort of moral of that story, I guess, is um, obviously I've changed things since then, but moral of the story is to expect feedback from a 1.0 that you just never anticipated because there will be a bunch of people that will see this sort of glaring need, or at least I found a bunch of people that sort of saw a glaring need that honestly I had totally missed. It had never occurred to me that anyone would want to get directly to the files only because, I mean, they'd get to the files, but um, to get to the files through, say, the Finder, just because my app was providing um, an interface to copying them uh, you know, to dragging and dropping them to any other location they wanted. Um, so my point is, or my moral of the story is expect feedback and expect um, there to be something that's incredibly obvious to perhaps a very large portion of your customer base that isn't obvious to, or at least wasn't obvious to me. No, that's that's great because I guess like at the end of the day, taking feedback from your uh, customers is uh, something I hear time and time again and we can be so in the thick of building and developing apps and getting them out there that we kind of forget that you know, what we're actually trying to achieve is uh, uh, trying to solve these problems so that's terrific advice I'm going to definitely take that down I've actually written down uh, to follow up and get feedback so before we say goodbye how can we best get in touch with you John what's the best way to connect with you sure um, I'm on Twitter at uh, John Brayton J-O-H-N-B-R-A-Y-T-O-N and my website is goldenhillsoftware.com. 
Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I know that it's been an inspiration to me and I'm sure it's going to inspire some other listeners who perhaps are in the same shoes that you were 2010 and remember that October 2010 and you, you decided to take the plunge and I hope that this perhaps will inspire some others to give some really con- good consideration to just going for it because we only have one life and uh, it's worth doing. Well, thank you, Paul. I've enjoyed this as well. Terrific. Okay, well, thanks, John. And hopefully we can have another chance to, to do this sometime in the future. All right, sounds good. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. And if you do have any ideas on who we should interview, please send that email to info at onemob.com. That's info at onemob.com. 